Welcome to Conversations with Connors. I'm your host, Adam Connors. Make sure you're sitting while listening to this deep and powerful conversation with Bill O'Haron as he gets raw about relationships, emotional intelligence, and the power of vulnerability. Bill was put on this earth to help people grow and be the best version of themselves. During this hour, you'll get an opportunity to hear about his career, some of the people that he has helped, and how we can all help each other. We also get a sneak peek into the book he's completing called The Space In Between. Bill shares with us how it doesn't matter what faith you are and how society could benefit from the symbolism of a bar mitzvah. He walks us through what a relationship really means and how to build them. We learn why men and women cheat, as well as why 90% of your daily life is lived unconsciously. Selfishly, and as being a parent, my biggest takeaway was that the best thing that we can do for our children is actually just to be present. I'm scratching the surface here. My advice is to listen twice. The first time, just soak it all up. The second time you listen, I encourage you to have your pen handy, take notes, then of course, implement. Bill gives you a money-back guarantee. Enjoy my conversation with Bill O'Hare. Today is going to be a challenge. I don't even know where to begin <laughs> with today. There is so much to talk about. Sitting here with Bill O'Hare. I don't know how to label you. I don't know if we label you a, a Dynamo Wall Street guy, Dynamo author, Dynamo human being, Dynamo. I mean, where do we where do we begin? Today is going to be fun. It's going to be energetic. I don't know if I know anyone as uh, energetic and enthusiastic as Bill. <laughs> you know, as you're listening, it's going to be tough. You're going to want to just get up and do some jumping jacks <laughs> or something. <laughs> Talk to us, Bill. Tell me how we're defining who you are and what you do these days. I'm a little bit of a uh, hybrid. Uh, you know, I've spent the last 25 years doing two things, hopefully pretty well. Um, one is in the financial field, in sales, kind of building relationships, helping to build a network of clients that can invest in uh, funds. That I raise money for a fund over the last seven years, but I've spent the last 30 years on Wall Street servicing uh, money managers, selling research, generating ideas. About 12 years ago, I went back for a master's in social work. I kind of um, wanted something a little bit more deeper in terms of relationships. I went back for a master's in social work and I opened up a practice in therapy counseling. You know, it's funny, people laugh at, uh, you know, are you a sales guy? Are you a counselor, a therapist? I look at it the same thing. It's all about building a relationship and helping people find their path, whether it's in the financial field or whether it's internally helping people find some happiness. Um, my biggest joy is working with couples. I've been married now 20 and a half years with my wife, Linda. It's a great challenge. I think actually a relationship is the most difficult thing any human being will ever do. And that's why I enjoy working on it and helping people through, you know, 50% of all relationships fail. Hopefully today I'll get a chance to talk about, I've done a lot of research on that. I've done a lot of experiential work on it and just in terms of my relationship and helping people. So um, how do I define myself? I'm really a relationship guy. I do still enjoy the financial field quite a bit. I love the challenge. My real love is people and human beings and the human experience. How do I help myself grow and reach my potential in this life? I think it's working with people. Wow. You are definitely a people person. <laughs> Any stories in particular that you've had, people that have been extremely challenging? I know we've talked throughout the years. I just don't know how much you can share or talk in broad strokes. Gosh, I've had so many therapeutic clients in really tough situations. I would say some of the tougher 
folks I've worked with are younger kids. I've spent, I ran a juvenile justice program for three years and then morphed into doing therapeutic work with teenagers, suicidal teenagers. And I found the most difficult piece was just getting them to communicate, being willing to share what was going on in them. And you'd be amazed as my job is to create a space for somebody. And when I started creating space in my therapeutic practice for teenagers, 12, 13, 14, 15 year old, 16 year old boys and girls that were in high school that were really, really not happy, you'd be amazed when you just let them start talking. How do you get them to talk? I let them know that there's an angry 14 year old inside this 52 year old body or 48 year old body at the time. And I was honest and straight up. And I would say, listen, I think most adults don't know what they're talking about. I think a lot, a lot of adults, whether it's your teachers, your counselors, your parents, they're wonderful people. They've done the best they can, but they don't really know themselves. So give them a break. Let's forget about them. Let's find out what, what's going on with you. And you'd be shocked. Kids would start talking about, you know, whether they're doing drugs or having sex. It, it didn't, nothing phased me because there wasn't really a lot they were going through that I hadn't gone through. And really people are looking for common ground. They're looking for somebody who understands where they're at. And they'd, then they'd start talking about their dreams. Oh, tell me about your dreams. Well, they'd never talked to anybody about their dreams. What I would do is I would get them to relax. I'd either have them lie down on my massage table or just have them close their eyes and we'd go back. Let's go back into your dream from last night. Suddenly they were flying around or meeting aliens or whatever it was and getting people to talk about the experiences in their inner world. When they open up their eyes, they feel like they're more in their body and more in the world. So it's really getting them to trust that it's all okay. It's all okay. It's funny. I, I get emotional around it because it's so important. Yeah. You know, my wife laughs at me. She's like, why do you get so drawn in? Why do you get so dug in? Why do you get so stuck in? I'm like, what else is there? I read this great quote 10 years ago. It's from a great book called Far Journeys. Everybody must read it, Robert Monroe. He says, all you take with you from this life is shared experience. This is it. What we're doing right now is a shared experience. 50 years from now, when you're expiring, whatever, you take these moments. All life is is moments. And if you can help people deepen their moments or expand their moments, what else is there? Powerful. Powerful. Any one story in particular that stands out? I know you've got many. I know there have been a few that you've shared with me before. I don't know if I'm able to share this and I can cut this if need be, but uh, there was a girl I remember you telling me about, I, th I can't remember if she was a cutter yeah. or a water situation. Yeah. 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 That yeah. In fact, it's, it's funny you bring that up. I just got a, a text from her mom about six months ago and she's doing phenomenally well. That was a long journey. That was probably two years I worked with her. I worked with her dad, her mom. I worked with her brothers. I would go to their house. You know, I was agnostic to where we did it. I was, I was kind of like the mailman, you know, no sleep wouldn't slow me down. You know, there were no boundaries because people just need the help. That was one where she did not feel like she wanted to keep going. She was a junior in high school and her dad, had, you know, a lot of money, divorce, all that stuff. And she just didn't feel like there was any meaning left. What we would do is anytime she felt like she was kind of near that kind of end, end of the rope, I said, just call me or text me. Let's just talk. And I know it sounds pretty pedantic or, or it doesn't feel like it's kind of deep therapeutic work, but she just needed to talk. And we finally realized that she needed to get out of the environment she was in. And they and the, the mom and I looked into programs. She ended up doing one of those outward bound programs. Changed everything. It changed everything. You know, we feel confined, especially at 15, 16, 17 year old 
you feel con- too confined, too constrained. And when you can go back, I'm telling you, this sounds so new agey, but nature has its way. When you reconnect to the ground, to the, to the mountains, to the grass, to the trees, it changed everything for her. She came back, it was a little bit rough uh, her senior year. She, so she went away for six months. She repeated her senior year. We kept on talking. I had moved out of town by then, but we were still talking on a weekly basis. And uh, she really found her place. She felt like she was able to reconnect with her friends and her family and, and she's thriving now. She's in college and that was a really rough one. And rough for me, because I have three teenage daughters. My middle was her age at the time. I'll tell you what it did for me, not to change course here, but it really helped me better understand where my daughters were at and just try to be more willing to hear their story. It's easier to counsel those I don't have a, a familiar relationship with, right? If I don't know you, it's easier to counsel. If you're my son, daughter, or cousin, you know, we tend to get our own emotions mixed in and kind of what our agenda is for our kids. I have no agenda for anyone else just to be present for them and try to create a space. Um, I had some really rough couples. Couples work is my favorite work, um, it, as my book in the last three or four years and all the research I've done. Is but, okay yeah, talk, yeah, let's yeah, talk yeah. about your book because I, I think that's really fascinating yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, thank you. This book, is it's um, it'll be done this year. It's called The Space In Between. I'm going to tell you why it's called The Space In Between. You are raised in between not only actually, but raised in the space in between your mom and your dad. If you look at what the world is made up of is electrons. So literally you are spending your first 10 years of your life in between your mom's world, her body and her experiences and your dad's. And you literally soak up literally the limbic body, your hippocampus, your belly, your heart. The electrons of your parents' experiences are actually absorbed by your body. Don't have to take these words from me. All the research is in the book and I can just send you all the links to the research. It's powerful stuff. So from zero to eight, Think of this, 80% of what your kids pick up at home is nonverbal. From zero to eight, your kids are picking up how you feel, not what you say, how you feel. If you're sad and you're trying to act happy, your kids aren't picking up the acting happy, they're picking up the molecules and the electrons of sadness, of longing. Of So anything that you think kids don't know, they actually do, but it's unconscious. So it's called the space in between because from zero to 10, you absorb literally the worlds of your parents and it's stored in your body as electron loops, in your hippocampus, again, in your amygdala, in your limbic body, in your heart. Then what happens is you go into your adult life, now you're a rational, now you're an accountant, now you're a, a teacher, whatever you're doing, your you're rational life, you're living your rational life, but deep down unconsciously, you've stored these memories and they're living down there, but you don't know they're there. When do they be, become released? When you get into relationship, a relationship is challenging. Your girlfriend challenges you, she calls you out on stuff, and suddenly you start responding and acting in ways that you didn't realize you had. I can't tell you how many times when I first got married, I started saying things. I'm like, where did that come from? Those are stored <laughs> memories. Yeah. We literally start echoing because of the memory stored inside, our parents' experiences. So if you kind of go into your adult life and you've got some emotional stuff that you didn't realize, it's gonna come out once a relationship begins. And that's why the book's called The Space In Between because it's gonna light up. What I say is the friction of the relationship is gonna kick up everything that's unconscious to you. I call it stand in the fire. You need to stand in the fire of your relationship. Why do 50% fail? Because the challenges, the emotional challenges, my wife's driving me crazy, my husband's driving me crazy, or they're just driving me crazy. What they're doing is they're, they're lighting up the emotions that were already in there. You blame them on them, but it's your emotions. 
And so the work in a relationship is on self. It's not on your wife. You can't fix your wife. You can't fix your parents. You can't fix your boss. We try. It's about going in and understanding your own self. Guarantee money back if you start working on self. And that's what the book's about. If you start working on self, it'll change the relationship in an instant. It'll change the dynamics. It doesn't mean it's all gonna work. It just means you start understanding. It's about becoming conscious of what's stored inside. Wow. Does this transgenerational too? Is this? Explain what you, I asked the question again. Transgenerational, in other words, what's stored inside? Correct. Absolutely. So Absolutely. How do you break the cycle? 100%. <laughs> so the Hindus say, why do, why do human beings come back on earth? The Hindus, the oldest culture and belief system out there, so there's three reasons why we come back. Consciousness, awareness, and bliss. Consciousness, awareness, and bliss. The only reason why we're here is to have shared experience. And why we have a shared experience, what we're supposed to be doing is becoming aware of what, who we are. What are the roots of why we feel the way we feel? Why does Bill O'Haran react the way he does in certain circumstances? How do you break that unconscious responding is you go back inside, back into the silence, it's literally about sitting, what I call listening by yourself, and going back into that silence and understanding the roots. Once you understand the roots of why I'm gonna to respond to you today the way I am, why I'm gonna to respond to my boss, why I'm gonna to respond to my wife, if I understand those roots, I realize that my grandfather's experience, who's been dead for 60 years, is still living inside of me. I understand that his father's experience was living in him. So I picked up insecurity, you know, fear of money, whatever it might be from my grandfather that I never met. It's all living in there, but now I'm aware of it. I've been aware of it for 20 years when I started meditating, when I started sitting quietly. This is a money back guarantee. It's the only reason why you're here on earth. If you're not working on yourself and you're not going inside, you know, you're not gonna complete your life. Your job is to complete your life. And the only way to do is understand the roots of why you feel and who you are. It's a tall task and nobody likes to do it. So few people, when I say your job is to go sit quietly, go find a place in your house and sit quietly in a dimly lit room with your back straight, do it. Oh, well, uh, how long, five minutes? I don't care, just start. Oh, you know, I'm busy. I'm, of course you're busy. You're too busy being distracted because the emotions inside are very difficult. Oh, and by the way, here's the disclaimer, I guarantee you will cry. Guarantee you will weep. Oh, I don't, I don't wanna weep, well then don't do it. <laughs> then you'll wait till next lifetime. You wanna get it? This is the lifetime right now, today. Anybody that listens to this, anybody picks up on any book, anybody that has, has any desire to know why they're not completing their life and not happy, money back guarantee, I will show you. Go sit quietly in a room and call me in half an hour. <laughs> what about, do you have an opinion on why people are happy or sad or does that, um, obviously that- Yeah, I've got a very strong opinion. It's funny, I was just reading, um, Daniel Goldman did a lot of work on emotional intelligence. They've done a ton of research over the last 10 years on why people tend not to be happy. He says, the clue to finding happiness is realizing that you can't rely on the outside world for your happiness. You have to rely on the inside world. That's kind of what I'm talking about. People aren't happy because, think about this statistic. Apparently, 90% of your daily life is lived unconsciously. In other words, you're just literally going through these, these you're through having, emotions. you have these emotions inside, you're going to work, you're doing it, but you're not feeling whole. Well, if 90% of your life is unconscious, what would happen if we got that down to 80 or 70 or 60 or 50? Oh, how do I do that, Bill? Oh, you know what you do? You have to sit quietly and let those emotions come up. Oh God, I'm, you're back to telling me to sit quietly again? Well, the reason why there's any smidgen of unhappiness 
is because you don't know why you're feeling the way you feel. Imagine if somebody could show you why you're feeling longing, sorrow, incompleteness, may you, boredom, lack of freedom. But yeah, yeah, I'd love to find that. Fantastic, go sit quietly, and then we'll do some work together. Oh, what's the work? The work is where are those roots of sadness coming from? Oh, you know, my mom was always said, oh, bingo. I can't tell you, Adam, how many times when I get somebody to just close their eyes, listen to their heart. Okay, what's your heart saying right now? Um, okay, I said, oh, okay. When was the last time? Let's go back to when you were eight years old. I call it the kitchen table meditation. You go back to when you were eight years old. I'm going to close your eyes, we'll count down, relax. And now you're eight years old, sitting at your table with your parents around. How do you feel? And you go back to that feeling of the eight-year-old, bingo. That's where it all started. How do you get people to tap into that? It's actually quite easy. Get them to lie down. If I'm not in the room with them, get them to lie down and count down 10 to 1. Put all your attention on your belly. And it might take some practice. Some people do it literally the first time. Sometimes it takes them 10 times. Get them to lie down. Focus on your belly. Do some light breathing. Now, when you get to 1, go to your kitchen. Okay, I'm there. Oh, great. Okay, look around. What's on the wallpaper? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, those old photos. Okay, great. All you have to do is engage that space. Start with the space of when you were eight years old. And then just keep waiting for the feelings to come up. You have to come out of your head a little bit. But it's all about going into those feelings. Back to uh, the happy factor. And I'm sorry to keep no, no, around. I like I've it. got I like you know, You've got so yeah. much. My <laughs> mind is uh, spinning right now <laughs> listening to you. Again, don't know if this is fact, fiction, whatever this is. But what I've noticed is a significant amount of my male friends that are in relationships, whether uh, married or not, the biggest complaint that they have is typically two complaints. I don't know if you know where I'm going to go with this, but that I hear is... Uh, Two things that their their wives or their significant others are either nagging. Uh, well, that's there. That's actually number three. That's number three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> angry, uh, like unhappy or angry is kind of like one of them, and yeah. stressed. And and I think everyone's stressed, men and women. So I don't know if that's a male or female. I don't know if there's any any fact to that. If that's just happens to be the circle of people that I am around. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. So the question is, and, and you nailed it. The biggest thing that I find in the counseling couples is. The wife is unhappy. She feels incomplete. She doesn't feel like the husband's present. The number one reason women, according to research, number one reason why women leave men or, or want to get out of a relationship is a lack of presence from their husband. Now, I'm not saying that's the reason why they're unhappy. They have their own unhappiness. I'm sorry to cut you off. Presence as if like being sitting at available. a dinner table at a Being phone, emotionally available. Using a cell. Or, okay. Exactly. Okay. Being okay. emotionally available. So why are women feeling incomplete? I, th I think you've touched on one of the biggest things that I found in suburbia, living in suburbia the last 20 years, is a lot of the moms, all the moms are intelligent women that were probably in the workplace, a little bit different from when our moms, my mom you know, started having kids in the, in the late 50s, early 60s, and women stayed home. Nowadays, you have these intelligent women who've been in the workplace, now they're confined to a house Raising children is a wonderful experience, but for a lot of women, the discontent is there's got to be something more than this and just dropping them off at daycare and then coming back and cleaning the house and, you know, watching Oprah, whatever it might be. Here's what I'll tell you. If a woman's not creating, she's judging. If a woman's not in her stream, a woman is a creative force, right? The blood moves through her every month. Our human beings, human beings would not exist without women. Women are connected. They're tied to the earth. They're a powerful force. They are the original force. 
you know, all the original cultures were matriarchal. The single God religions created the patriarchal system, it broke the whole system. This is a matriarchal species. And when a woman's not creating and doing what she's here to do, the heart is broken. It's a broken system in that you leave a woman in a house by herself with a couple kids, she's not feeling complete, the, the marriage will be strained. And a man, what he needs to do is just to start, is just be present for where she's at and help her find something to begin doing, whether it's book club. I mean, I, I've been married 20 years. My wife has been through all the ups and downs. She's, she's got her own little business now and she's thriving, she's happy. But when she wasn't thriving, wasn't happy, what was she doing? Criticizing, judging, criticizing the news, criticizing everything she could see because if the creativity isn't moving through, it gets blocked. And what it wants to do is it doesn't want everyone else around them to be happy. What about the working woman? That isn't happy? It's about finding balance because it's funny you take, I know a lot of experiences where the woman stopped working, thought that was going to be the key to her happiness. And there she is at home with all this kind of creative needs uh, and, and no release. And so funny when, when women leave the workplace, they feel relieved, but you check in with them a year or two later, they're trying to figure out what to do. So it's really finding a balance. But if they really want to leave the workplace, I think the key is have something to do. Again, whether it's starting a book club or starting something that speaks to what they wanted to do. And it always goes back to, and especially my therapeutic practice is, what did you love to do when you were 14 and 15 years old when I'm talking to the mom? Oh, I love to paint. Well, then great, take a painting class. I can't tell you how powerful it is to do some continuing education. You know, take a, can you take a political science class. Oh, you know, I always wanted to do history, but my dad wanted me to be an economics major, so I never took any history classes at college. Great, take a history class. Guarantee you money back. She'll find somebody, she'll meet somebody in there. They'll start doing something. They'll start doing a history round circle. And in a couple of years, they'll be doing something that's tied to that if that's their joy. A woman has to find her joy and follow it. And if she's going to do it for money, then that's going to bring in a whole other element. But if she can do it because she has the freedom and the flexibility, find the thing you love to do. Is this where cheating comes into play? All the time. And a lot of times it's funny, there's the emotional cheating and then there's just the physical cheating. You know, the physical cheating, a lot of the research says if a man or a woman, one of the partners has cheated, but there's not a lot of emotion, it means the relationship still has a chance of hanging in there. But if there's this, this real deep need of being connected and emotionally finding that emotional connection with somebody else, the relationship's doomed. I do want to come back to that. That's a really good point because... What I tell folks that have either gone through that or in that, and they come see me in accounting practices is, okay, he cheated, you cheated. seems like the relationship's over. That's not the point. The point is, you have kids? Yes, we have two kids. Great. The work you need to do right now, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, is work on everything that's come up in the relationship. That's the arena. That's the altar. Use everything that's come up in the relationship as a means for you, John, to, to grow and learn from, and you. In other words, what you do in relationship, because it goes down in posterity, it goes down the ages, because your kids right now, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, are living in that space in between you guys, and there's a big discontent, there's sadness, there's longing. So what are you dripping into your kids every single day into their frosted flakes? Sadness, longing, sorrow. Really, is that what you wanna leave here for your kids? No, great. So do the work for posterity. Do the work for your grandkids, grandkids. They're like, what are you talking about? I said, it's so important that you do the work. You've got to become conscious. 
Yeah, people do the generational financial planning, but you're saying to do generational that's a, that's emotional. That's a phenomenal point. I work with family offices. I work with people that yeah. are doing all this work of constructing accounts yeah. and trust way funds. Way more important. And their kids are, you know, they're not happy. They're happy with, they're, they're not happy with all this money. So I say, what you do in relationship right now changes your grandkids' grandkids. That's a fact because electrons keep going down in time. Your DNA, once you really start doing this research, your DNA can be changed. Your genetics can be changed by becoming aware. This isn't, those aren't my words. No, this I, is a I, fact. I, I know you're right. So, cause I was involved in a neurotechnology company and it was really, I, I'm, I'm going to completely botch any kind of description of, of what transpired, but essentially like our brains, for example, have changed so much, you know, now in, in a short period of time, even if you rewind a little bit, all we had to focus on was, you know, hunting, gathering food, you know, and that was easy. And, and you, you focus on one thing. But now we've got with technology, especially now with phones, with distractions, and our brains are going through a loop because we're, we're, we're designed to just focus on one task at a time. And now we've thrown multitasking into the mix. And what's happening is it's causing, it's putting so much stress on our brains and they're just learning this now because a lot of this neuroscience is fairly new and a lot yeah. of the stuff that they've been studying for the past few years is now we're reaping the rewards of the research so and they're finding that that this stress this neurological stress is really affecting people um, in a lot of different ways physically mentally uh, i mean i can just keep going on and yeah. on but i know my point is what you're saying you know rings true i'm glad you brought that up you talk about happiness and the brain what happens is people get stuck in their left brain. They get stuck in this rational loop. What emotional intelligence does, so you, you get stuck in your brain and you can't figure out why you're not happy. The divide is that your left brain, the rational part, and your right brain aren't speaking. Your right brain is your desire. Your right brain is in your belly. That's the desires that you want. You know, I always wanted to be a basketball player, right? That's your right brain. That's your unconscious. That's your, that's your emotional body. Your left brain is your rational, it gets stuff done. That's your belief system. Your beliefs are here, your desire here. The gap of discontent, the gap of ha not being happy is that space in between what I want and what I believe I can get. The only way, let's go back to happiness, the only way you can bring this belief, which is here and it's not working, and your desire and, and you don't feel like you can get it, is you have to bring them together. How do you do that? It comes back down to getting the left brain and the right brain to talk. How do you do that? sit quietly, relax and sit quietly. And so when you relax and sit quietly, you start the left brain, what I believe I can do, my right brain, ah, it's what I really wanna to do to start talking to each other. That is called emotional intelligence. The only way you become emotionally intelligent is you get the left brain and the right brain to speak. What I'll say about that is a perception, when you perceive, oh my gosh, that is why I'm not happy because I was exposed to all that longing in my, in my home when I was growing up, that perception right there literally changes the mechanics of the electrons between your left brain and right brain. A perception will actually get your right brain and left brain to start talking, which will actually start increasing your awareness of why you're not happy, and that begins the path. And from a DNA genetic standpoint, this isn't my research, this is a fact from the research I've read and, and worked on, you then now start to change the genetics. In other words, by doing that, your kids now have the opportunity to become more aware because you're gonna send that electrons down the line, right? If you look at people's ailments, oh, I inherited this, I inherited that, what you actually inherited was an emotional pattern. 
you inherit emotional patterns. The emotional patterns in my house was, oh, you know, maybe we're not good enough about all that. All those silent messages, they're actually stored in your electrons, in your brain, in your uh, limbic body. So it's about waking up. People ask, you know, what do you do? I try to help myself learn and grow. Well, how do I do it? I sit quietly, I do my work, and I work with people. By me working with people helps me learn about Bill. That means I'm, doing, I'm in my groove. Nice. Let's talk about people for a little bit. I want to get back to this, but people, you know, one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> How do you relate this type of work that you've been doing over to the relationships of not just people that are troubled. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're all troubled, yeah. I guess, but, but how, you know, how do you bring it into the quote unquote real world, the business world? How do you bring it into your kids? How do you bring it into all the different activities? I know you're involved in soccer, yeah. you ski, you do yoga. Yeah. You, I mean, on and on and on. I am a, this is the wrong word. I'm a voyeur for the human experience. I'm 53 years old and I still cold call almost every day. I cold call to find new relationships. I cold called a couple of people yesterday. I love getting the chance to talk to somebody, to hear their story. Once they hear their story, for me, it's fun to hear someone's story. I tell a little bit of mine very briefly. And suddenly now there's two, there's two people that know each other that didn't know each other 10 minutes earlier. And that I might have something that might be good for them. They might have something that's good for me. And now we can walk down the road together and do something. In the financial field, it's them potentially having their clients invest in my fund, which is a it's, which is a great fund. For me, I get to learn. There's an opportunity where I might learn something I didn't know that a minute before or a day before. I can't get enough of spending time with people and learning about them and learning about their experience, learning about your experiences. What do you think is the thing that holds most people back? And my experience is that most people... Yeah, God, I don't know. I don't know if it's they're guarded or they're just so caught up in their own head I and they're this always thinking. I mean, I, I love this topic. How few people do you come across that are when you meet them genuinely are going to look out for you? John Bradshaw, one of the greatest books ever written, called Homecoming. He says vulnerability is the only way to develop intimacy. What he means by that is you have to know your own stuff. Right? You have to know, you have to be willing, I have to be willing to share with you my crap in order for you to feel comfortable to share your experiences. And so I think what holds, people's back, holds people back is they don't think they can be authentic. They don't think they can be real. You know, even, especially in business settings, people aren't going to share. It's, it's not like they're going to share their inner selves and their longings and their grandmother's experiences, but people are very rigid with sharing who they are. I find the great relationship builders, whether it's the great salesman or the great therapist, understand their own vulnerability. They understand all the stuff that they're not good at, and they're willing to expose that and talk about it. And that really brings the whole, it relaxes everybody around them. I can't tell you how many times in the therapeutic setting where I'll say, hey, listen, let me just give you two minutes about me. I've done this, I've done that. You know, I've spent a lot of time meditating, over 6,000 hours sitting alone by myself over the last 20 years. How many years of that crying? Probably about 400 hours just letting the emotions flow. And they're like, wow, that's really, that's amazing. I really want to do that. So suddenly they feel comfortable talking about the things that they, makes them vulnerable. Now in a business setting, I wouldn't go that far, but I'd be willing to be very candid about what I do, who I am and what I'm here to do. And so I think honesty is really an offshoot of being willing to share who you are. 
But what about, so you made a great point, like cold calling. So so I haven't done that in a while, but I used to love it. To me, it was just a game because I had fun because yeah. people were, you know, who's going to be the angry guy that picks yeah. up the phone? Who's going to be, you know, what's going to be this gal's excuse for trying to get off? Are they going to be rude? Are they going to be, you know, so I, I had fun and it was just like kind of like a challenge. It was a people challenge. But now I lost my train of thought. I had a really good question and I forgot That's it. okay. That's <laughs> yeah. okay. I guess why just, people don't do it, why people don't aren't willing to kind of expose themselves to that kind of. No, I don't know if it was about exposure, but just understanding people's dispositions, just like what makes them you know, that angry person or what makes them, you know, fidgety? What makes them? Is Are we going back to the electrons again or electrodes? Or? Yeah, yeah. I, well, it's funny you say that because there's been times where I've cold called somebody and 12 minutes later they said, you know, I've never shared this with anybody before. And Bill, you just, I don't even know you and I'm sharing. And it's fun. I find that when somebody around me has an aha, when somebody around me says, wow, that's that's interesting. And I don't have to be the catalyst. I just want people to have ahas. I feel like I'm on earth to help myself and have other people grow and become more than where they are today. You can do that in the business setting. I can't tell how many times I've had a, a really successful client and a great financial experience with them. And they say, you know, Bill, you're a special person or something like that. That to me is the rewarding thing. The money's fun, but it's the rewarding experience of having somebody have a little growth moment, have a little aha. A little. When you have a perception, it actually shifts the body. It actually opens up the body. I feel like I wanna, like I'm a surgeon. I wanna help people open, open, go further. What's, what's inside there? Oh, that, I can't tell my buddies, they'll, they'll start telling me when they, when they broke up with their 17 year old girlfriend in high school and they're still frustrated around it. I'm like, oh, man. wow, <laughs> it's powerful. The point is if I can get them to talk about it and shed a tear over it, now you've created space when you open what happens is when you have an aha and you release something oh my god i didn't need to feel so insecure about that literally the body i've had people on my massage table and they have these openings and i can feel their body exhale and what happened is the universe doesn't like empty space what what does the universe do universe fills it up with new energy oh you know what i'm gonna start drawing oh i'm gonna i can't tell you how many times people go gotta my dad's been dead for 10 years and I've been holding on to that. I feel like I just let go of it. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna go take a painting class. You're like, what? People are shifting. It's all about shifting. It's all about, oh God, coming back to sitting quietly. I guarantee you, you give me one, two, three hours of the next month to sit quietly, listen, by yourself, you'll have an opening. That's a money back guarantee. Pascal, one of the greatest mathematicians on the planet back in the, late 1800s, early 1900s, he said, the reason why human beings aren't happy is because they're not willing to sit quietly in a room by themselves. It's in the book. It's in the quote. Look it up. You have the great mathematician, right? Einstein talks about when he finally started seeing how like the electrons move and the atoms, he was so blown away. He's like, our minds can't perceive our lives. It's so deep and so powerful. It's just a well of experience and everybody's missing it. How do you find it? Go sit quietly in a room by yourself. In the cave you don't want to go into is where all the truth is. The cave is your eight-year-old self sitting at the kitchen table. Let's go back there right now, and I guarantee you're going to feel something and touch something and perceive something about you at eight years old that is still living inside of you. Why eight? Because physiologically, from zero to eight years old, your rational mind has not even 
really begun to form. You're almost pure right brain. You're almost pure unconscious right brain. In other words, the neocortex um, doesn't really start kicking in until kind of 8, 10, 11. So check this out also. Your, your neocortex, the human neocortex, actually doesn't reach its full kind of development until its 40s. And that's a whole other topic. But the powerful thing is from zero to eight, you are a sponge. You are a limbic sponge soaking in your environments. Wow. <laughs> and, and all the work on PTSD and all the work on youth is the home environment has created this emotional body. Then they go out into the adult world and they can't figure out why they can't function. It's because there's such a well of unconscious emotions that are living in there that actually prevent them from having a complete experience in their adult life. So if you could wave a realistic magic wand for all kids growing up, what would be the ideal, I guess, setting or, or environment for those zero to eight? I know that's a really loaded question, but having one adult, grandparent, doesn't matter which adult it is, having an adult that is conscious enough to be present to hold the space for an eight-year-old kid, just hold the space. Good advice. Um, I'd say 250 times I've had this conversation with couples who are wondering why their kids are doing this or why they're doing that. And I tell them, what are you feeling as your children are having this experience? They're like, well, what does that have to do with my child? I said, well, ironically, it has everything to do. And so you have these unconscious, wonderful 20, 30, 40-year-old humans raising kids that they're not conscious. They're not aware. So they're dripping all their unconscious crap into their kid's limbic body from zero to eight. And then at 12, the kid's getting in fights and is angry and sad and, you know, has to be on that, you know, drugs or whatever, which is fine. I mean, on medicine, like all. And the parents are like, the kid's an issue. Well, actually, mom, dad, it's, it's back to you. So to answer the question, having a conscious, aware, presence, mature adult around which you can function as an eight-year-old is a home run. Nice. That's all you need. Do you have an opinion Oh, of course I do. Uh, <laughs> As my wife would say, Bill Opinion. Yeah. On the <laughs> Bill Opinion. I that's got cool. one. That's classic. <laughs> Never accurate, but it's mine. <laughs> On the son-mother relationship and, and that oh, being... God. Yeah, okay. I know. Oh, God. We opening up Pandora here? Well, I just think it's a broken model. The ancient, you know, all the old cultures had the way to fix it, but I'll start with why I think it's a broken model. Boys are pampered and coddled by their moms, it's just the way it is. And so what happens is, I mean, how many guys, you know, when they're 14 year old, you know, they're rebel, rebelling, you know, we're out drinking beers with the guys, they got in trouble and they come home and their parents are really angry. And the next morning, mom's making them French toast and darning their socks and going, do you need your whites separated from? And, and so men, boys have this experience at home where the woman, their primary caregiver, the one that loves them to death, isn't really setting any boundaries isn't calling them out on stuff. If they do call them out, they call them out for a couple of days, you get grounded for a week, you get you know, you get the car taken away. And then a week later, mom's like, hey, you coming to Holly on the vacation with us? And what would you like for Thanksgiving? Oh, you, you didn't give me your Christmas list, right? So what's the model? I can do whatever the fuck I want, essentially with the, with the primary matriarch. And the next day it's all gonna be fine. So men get in relationships and they do stupid things and suddenly their, their girlfriend or their wife's calling them out and they're like, why are you calling me out? Nobody ever calls me. No woman ever calls me out. When a woman calls me out, I leave. And so it's a broken model because the moms don't set any boundaries and they allow their sons to behave the way they do adolescently as adolescents. So you have literally a 14-year-old 
who becomes a 20-year-old and 27-year-old who's now getting into a serious relationship, but developmentally his experience with women is still that 14-year-old. I always tell women, never marry a man who has not had his heart broken. If he hasn't had his heart broken, okay, that's fine. What's his relationship to his mom? Oh, she loves him. Oh, God. <laughs> Let's go back and look at what's that dynamic. Does he know he's got to break up with his mom once he's marrying you? And so I'll tell you the first argument I had with my wife when we got married in 1997 was she's like, you're still kind of kowtowing to your mom. I'm like, no, I'm not. And unconsciously I was, and I didn't realize it. Wake up call. This is a really, really interesting fact that people don't realize what a bar mitzvah is. In the old cultures, when a boy and a girl, especially a boy, I'm talking about Native Americans, Aboriginals, I'm talking 20, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 years ago, the elders, the community leaders, conscious men and women knew that the 13-year-old boy had to be rendered, wrenched from his parents in order to grow up. So the bar mitzvah is an old ceremony where the elders would come to the house and take the 13-year-old boy ceremonially, take him away from his parents, bring him with other boys, they do vision quests, they go out into the desert, they go out into the mountains, separating them. Why? Because physically they need to be broken down and woken up to the adult world of being a male. And so we don't have that in our culture. There's no outlet for 13, 14, 15, 16 year old boys, 17 year old boys um, in our culture to really realize that they have to grow up. And the way to grow up is to be broken down. When I say broken down is the way you grow up is you get emotionally undone. You, you have to have your heart rendered open because then you realize, oh my gosh, I am vulnerable. Because what happens is these 16 year old boys, they're really smart, they're good athletes, they go to college, they have everything taken care of for them. Then they work on Wall Street, or they do all these, and suddenly they're like these mighty warriors at 27, but developmentally they're 14 year olds. Essentially our, our whole country is run by developmentally 15 year old boys. I won't even talk about Donald Trump. Um, George Bush has evolved. I got a chance to hear him speak last year, and he's evolved a lot. But, you know, go outside. It's 30, 40, 50-year-old men with a ton of money that are developmentally 12-year-olds. Why? Because they haven't, they don't, they don't understand their emotions, and no one's challenged them. And if they do challenge them, they move on. It's hard to find a grown-up boy, a grown-up man, you know, an emotionally intelligent. Comes back to emotional intelligence. That's what a woman's looking for, too. The topic came from the broken mom-son relationship. That is literally the roots of so much of therapeutic work I do. It's not the obvious roots, but what happens is the wife's sitting there, the husband's sitting there. I look at the wife. I'd say, tell me how John's making you feel, blah, 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 blah. He's like, oh, no, no. I try to get the man to realize, listen, you're not listening to her. You're not feeling what she's feeling. And the guys don't want to feel. Here's the big thing. Men don't want to feel. And in our culture, they're not taught how to feel. Imagine if you're in a junior year and one of the curricula, one of the classes you took your junior year was a class on learning how to be emotionally intelligent. And what did that involve? Sitting in a room, relaxing, doing some counseling work. Oh, and going back to why, you know, when you were eight, you were emotionally abused by your whatever. That's an extreme. But imagine if you could teach kids, like in the old days, a 16-year-old boy how to be how to open up his heart and to emote and to be emotional. Why do a lot of kids, once they turn 14, 15, what do they start doing? Alcohol and drugs. Why? Because that softens the body to just not have to really comprehend. I'm gonna give you a really interesting uh, quick fact here. In the therapeutic work we've done, this, is, this isn't me, this is research-based. 
42-year-old man, 43-year-old man stops drinking. He's been drinking since he was 15. Emotionally, he's a 14-year-old. He stopped evolving. He stopped growing. He stopped maturing. Alcohol and drugs tends to do that because of what it does is almost anesthetize and almost numbs the body. So by numbing the body, you don't actually get to feel the things that are going to make you vulnerable and sad. So one day you wake up at 43, you decide to get sober because your wife left you and your three kids are, you know, they've all left you. And it's literally a 14-year-old boy in a 42-year-old body. And that was a long answer to, it's a tough model. Men have to figure out a way to grow up. How did you get involved in this? Again, walk me through your background. I'm sorry to be bouncing no, all over no, the place. No, 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 no. You went to this great school. No. You, you, you've lived all over the world. You lived in, uh, well, you lived in London, London right? for six years. You yeah. lived in London. Yeah. You've lived in Connecticut. You lived in yeah. Jersey. You now live in Austin. I'm, I'm going to tell you how I re- realized I wasn't mature. If I can go there, yeah. is, that, is that fair? So I'll, I'll just tell you real quickly. I um, you know, went to school, great school, liberal arts school, Middlebury, um, graduated in 86. I sat at my parents' kitchen table and I had two things I wanted to do. I'm either going to go teach English in the inner city in New York or I'm going to go make money. And I had no money, literally no money in my bank account. I said, you know, I'm going to go make money. So I started to become, I became a sales guy on Wall Street. It was relatively, I won't say it's easy. But if you had a little bit of um, zip in your step and you had a desire, which I did, I just got a, got to a company, started cold calling, and you know I made a little bit of money. That got me over to London. Got to London when I was 26, you know, selling research and, and being successful, running a little desk. And what was happening was I was getting into these great relationships with women, and then they would they're like, "Bill, why aren't you going to give me more?" I'm like, "Why would I give you more? Like this is fun. I'm having fun." And, well, no, no. What's you're 27, you're 28. You know, this is time to start. I'm like. So I would literally go relationship to relationship to relationship. And by 96, 1996, I think I was 30 at the time or 29, I wasn't happy. I was living the life of Riley. I was skiing in, skiing in Chamonix and Le Grave in Switzerland. And I was you know, going to Italy and it was the early, mid-90s. It was kind of that yuppie world, right? But I was miserable on the inside. Why was I miserable? Because my heart wasn't open. I didn't understand what vulnerability was. And one day, somebody said to me, why don't you sit quietly? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you're not happy, right? Like, no, I'm miserable. Why don't you sit quietly? And that first time I sat, which was March of 96, I broke down. I literally broke down into a pool of tears. And when I came to, and anybody that's listening is going to like probably shut it off right now. I heard the words, welcome back. I heard welcome back. And I said, what the hell was that? The punchline <laughs> to all that is I started getting fascinated by what was all stored inside of me. And I would just sit hour after hour after hour. And I started realizing, oh my gosh, there's a world of emotions in there that I had no idea were there. And that started taking me on this path of, I was working at Salmon Brothers at the time, the largest tra- trading floor in, in London. Again, you know, during the daytime, I was doing my thing. And at nighttime, I put my sweats on. And instead of doing a workout, my workout was sitting quietly. And I started realizing that these emotions inside were mind-blowing, incredible. So I started reading. I couldn't stop reading. I'd read a book. I'd go to the back of the book, see what books they used to write their book. And I would just keep reading. So I started realizing, oh, my gosh, I'm walking around this world where people have these world of experiences inside. And all I want to do is try to help them go inside. That's really how I got into this path of trying to become awake myself. To me, a part of me is wonderfully selfish. We all have to be a little bit. I wanted to learn more about myself, and I realized by working with other people, I would learn more about myself. 
moved to South America, traveled the world. I've been to 46 countries. I came back to the U.S. My wife and I bought a house in the suburbs of Connecticut. It was beautiful. There I was, back trading again. I had taken two years off, back trading at a hedge fund. And I kept, every night I kept meditating. I'm like, my trading world and my inner world, the two of them could not exist side by side at that type of intensity. So my wife looked at me one day. She said, why don't you go back and get a, get a social work degree? I'm like, why would I do that? She's like, I've seen you work with people. You should be working with people. I'm like, well, that's a good idea. I didn't think of that because I couldn't find my way out of a paper bag. I just, you know, you get into that place where you don't know where your path needs to take you. I took one class, I took one social work class. I said, I'm in, I got into Columbia. I spent 17 months in their intensive program. And all I studied was the science and the physiology of meditation yoga. So I did the regular curriculum, but all my research projects, and I'm happy to share with anybody, were all about why meditation works. How, how does it affect the body? Because I knew if I was going to go out into the world and tell people, <clears throat> Mr. Smith, Mrs. Smith, you really need to sit quietly and go inside. I wanted to have the science behind it. And that's how I started. Got my license end of uh, 06, opened up a practice, and it just took off from there. And I literally had to take myself off the internet because I was getting so many phone calls. I was working with kids. The psychologist at the local high school said, Bill, I don't know what you're doing, but these kids want to talk to you. It's really been a journey of how can I learn more and how can I be present? How can I create space? All I want to do is create space. That's awesome. Yeah. Let's just hear about your theories on, again, getting back to the power of, a, of the relationships that you've developed mm. over the years. How have you decided who's important in your mm. life and what do you do to stay in touch with these people? It's You're great, obviously touching so many people's lives. Great like, question. I try to divide my personal world and my business world and I haven't done a great job of it in, in a positive way, I feel like. I I can't tell you how many times I just randomly text uh, a client that I haven't spoken to in a year or two. Like so he, uh, let's say a client that's invested in our funds and he's been in for a while and they're having a successful financial experience and I just touch base and it, you'd be shocked at how people love just, people wanna know that other people are thinking about them. And I think about them. I want people to know they matter, you know? And to me, there's nothing more important than the relationship. I want to I want to say something real quickly about what the word relationship actually means. And now we're re- talking. It's really important. It actually comes from Latin, and it actually is the basis of, of my book. Uh, it means to carry back. It's a relatio, and it's Latin. If I take that meaning to carry back is if you and I are in a relationship and we have this shared experience. Now we have this relationship, and I go back and I work on Bill, and I work on Bill for days, months, weeks, whatever, and I come back to you in our relationship, I think I've grown a little bit and I share with you. Now I'm truly relating. Relating means we do something, I leave, I grow a little bit, and I bring it back to the relationship. And the relationship is evolving. Our relationship has to evolve. And this is why marriages fail. It's because what's happening in the relationship is it's causing an experience and people are just taking that experience and not doing anything with it. So what I said, you have to go to the altar of the experience of the relationship, go back into your meditation, go deep, do your therapy, get a counselor, get a psychiatrist, what you have to do, understand what just got kicked up. Oh my God, it's my insecurity. It's not hers, it's mine. And I bring it back to the relationship. Now the relationship is moving. I'm evolving, the relationship's evolving. 
And that to me is what life is about. So in my personal relationship, I'm trying to push my boys, my best buddies, let's grow, let's evolve. We can drink some beers, but tell me what's going on. How you doing? How's your dad? Oh, your, your dad died. What's it like? When did he die? Okay, what's that mean? What do you do on his anniversary? Like, grow. Can we evolve? Look at our relationship, right? Look at where we are right now. We met on a... 2008. 2008, yeah. 2008, 10 years ago. 10 Probably years ago. almost to the day, yeah. actually. You know, uh, you were at uh, Surgo. No, what was the name of the company? I was at uh, uh, Sirius. Serious research? Or no, was I no. Sermo. I was Sermo. Sermo. You were at Sermo. I had yeah. read about them. I forgot what they did, but I yeah. remember I'd looked because I had I mean, myself for right. migraines. That's right. And I'd heard about them and I'd gotten your name. I forgot who referred me to you. I mean, again, we're going back 10 yeah. years. But, and I mean, uh, look how fun it is when a relationship grows and evolves. So you asked me what relationship is and why it's, that to me is everything. There's nothing else. And all good things come out of if I can grow and bring something back to each relationship I have, then I've done, I've done my share. What I'll also tell you about relationships is you can only do 50%. I have to do 100% of my 50% and why marriages fails because let's say the woman's doing 100% of her 50% and the guy's doing only 10% of his 50. It's not gonna work. Guarantee money back in, it's not gonna work. So he's gotta step up and do his part, which means understand his vulnerability, go inside and bring that back to the altar of the relationship. One of the quotes from me in the relationship is a man sets out in his life to become something. It's at the altar of relationship that he truly becomes who he's supposed to become. If he goes sits on a mountain and trades whatever makes money, he's still not gonna evolve and become who he, he needs to be in relationship. Doesn't have to succeed. The relationship doesn't have to work. He just has to be willing to grow from it because that's where all the stuff gets kicked up. It's in relationship. Why would you think other relationships dissipate? Not necessarily marriages, but just others in general. Obviously, we get busy. We go into different directions, but any... Um... That's a good question. That's a great question. I think a lot of times people, we're, we get selfish and we feel like a person has no use for us anymore. Or they were, you know, they were a powerful part of my experience when I was you know, 27 and now that I'm in my 50s, there's no place for them. And that's fine. And I think that's why relationships just dissipate. Um, I can't tell you how many times where I've told somebody or asked somebody, oh, when's the last time you spoke to your friend in high school? Oh, I haven't ever. I haven't spoken. Why not? Oh, I just, why would I? And then they do it. They touch base on Facebook. And then suddenly, like, it's bringing something that they didn't have before. And so I think people are also nervous that if they do try to reconnect and that person shuts them out, You're they actually right. step back emotionally. Right, whereas I, and I'm not impervious to that, like I'm bummed if somebody blows me off, but I also realize that's their stuff, this is my stuff, and I just keep going. Do you have an opinion on, well, of course you have an opinion. <laughs> opinion. Mark that down, Do you? Bill has an opinion. <laughs> um, <laughs> for example, I've got, there's two or three friends that I have, good friends, people I've known for God over 20 years that whenever they need something, I get the call. And I drop what I do, Yeah, I do, and I help them, and happy to do it, they're my friends, I've been through a lot of things through them. And then after I've done something for them, they just drop off the yeah. face of the earth. That's Until it. those next couple of years, yeah. they need something. They need something, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, they'll return a call yeah. if I reach out to them and do something, but it's a real meaningless uh, exchange unless they need something. It's a powerful topic because in one sense you say, hey, you're just being present. That's who you are. And, it's, and somehow it's giving you joy to give. Mm -hmm. And so you would be bummed if they didn't call. The other part of you is there's that residue of resentment, which then builds this thicker residue. And then suddenly you've got this quiet 
resentment that builds and so it doesn't come out on them it comes out somewhere else so that you know so you're so it's lighting up resentment wherever that lives inside what i would do is if their relationship means enough to you then i would talk to them about it i would say hey i'm just being honest two things that happen they will never call you again and go bro god you're right holy cow or they're going to say something in between like god you know why are you being so sensitive i never thought you were sensitive well they don't really know you then it's not really a relationship as deep as you want it. It all comes down to what you want. Desire, belief. I desire a relationship with that gentleman. I don't believe I can get it. Well, then there's the gap. But if you're like, hey, I love doing it, and it means a lot for me to give, and I don't really need to receive, then it's a beautiful thing. I don't think that's the case. It might be the case. But you got to find out, like, I look at every relationship. Is it giving me what I want? And if it's not, I'm done. Annual audit. We do an annual audit. audit something that yeah. I've, uh, yeah, I can yeah. tell you more about that. Yeah, that's great. Bill, I mean, God, I've been sitting here um, asking you all these questions. Anything in particular that you care to ask me? Why do you do what you do? Man, we, I could take up another hour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Detroit in the house. <laughs> well, I'll try to be brief, but uh, I really echo a lot of your sentiments. Here, people people, the relationships, the whole nine. I love people, love helping people, making a contribution. Um, also see so many people that miss it. They just don't get it. And they're caught in their own heads. And kind of like the people that I was just, you know, referring to before, they're so retroactive in their relationships. And then they want to get back in touch or it's when they need something. And then you're not in a really good position when you need something. It's so obvious. It's so fake. It's so, you know, I, I try to help people. Oh, it's so funny. I just got a text from a guy the other day. Hey, AC, what's up? You know. When's the last time you heard from him? Yeah, I hadn't heard from him in years. Yeah. And, and I just made it much easier instead of the going back yeah. and forth. Yeah. What can, what, I, what, do you what, what can I do to help yeah. you? Yeah. You know, and of yeah. course he needed something. Yeah. Which again, no problem. Yeah. The world needs more help, you know, because I don't think everyone, not that I'm this benevolent guy. I'm with you. I'm with you. But um, either be more real about it. But again, to answer what I do, it, it got to help people. There, there's so many people that don't understand and, and they're like, it's a reactive thing. You need to be more proactive. And, and if we're more proactive and we're, we're developing more of these relationships and we're, like you said, genuinely listening, genuinely care, think about all the goodness that comes. And I call it selfish benevolence. Yeah. I want to see your book do awesome. Yeah. People need Thank to learn you. from you. Yeah. I want people to Thank listen you. to this and, yeah. and take you. away things. And the more that they do and the more than, then this is going to spread. Yeah. Your book's going to spread. People are going to be happier. You're going to go on book tours. You're going to be happier. You're going to do well. And maybe somewhere along the line, in the morning your book tours you're giving me a plug so it's yeah, i'm selfish this <laughs> is really all about me bill but no that's that, that, that's a great question i can yeah. keep going on and on but i'm not going to bore everybody i can't thank you enough for coming in from austin to make this uh happen uh so much value in this conversation there's uh probably should be a two or potentially three-part series thank maybe you. have you back an excuse to come here or maybe i'll get Absolutely. back out to austin to yeah, visit you and chill out in your beautiful house and <laughs> see your beautiful family and uh and just have some more fun beautiful so thank you thank you appreciate it I really hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. If so, check out some of my others on conversationswithconnors.com. If you're someone looking to build a business, increase your sales, or make a career change, go to networkwise.com. There, you'll have access to a bunch of resources that can help you get started. Thanks again, make it a great day, and remember to always networkwise. Wise.